Hey there, welcome to episode 30 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir and I've been a middle and high school teacher as well as a teacher of pre-service and current teachers. And if you know me, you know that I love a good story. And I love to explore ways to help students live out great stories and for their educators to thrive in their own. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classroom? All right, welcome back to the podcast, my friends. Today's episode is going to be called, What is the Point of Grades? Because I think we should be asking that question because grades have played a pretty dominant role in the modern education system. I, I, all growing up, grades were the center of my academic life. As a teacher, they were often placed in front of students as if it was the center of their academic life. And yet, if you're an educator, you know there's so much more to learning in school than just grades, and yet a lot of emphasis gets put on them. And so I just want to raise some questions with this episode. I'm not going to provide a lot of answers. I might provide a little bit of an opinion, because that's what you do on a podcast, right? But I, I just want to get some discussion and conversation started about grades and their place in the modern education system, in the postmodern, in the 21st century. Where do grades belong? Do they belong? What is the point of them? So before we get into that, I'd like to illustrate a little point first. And, and I think the best way to illustrate something, to articulate an idea so we can dive into it, is of course to tell you a story. So I want to tell you a little story about Mr. Irafita. Mr. Irafita was my 10th grade chemistry teacher. And I got to tell you, I am fascinated by chemistry. I, I, I could just geek out for hours listening about how the world is composed and all of the elements and atoms and subatomic particles and everything that makes us us in the world. The world, I, I, I love chemistry. But I got to tell you, when I was in 10th grade, not only did I not love it, I had no idea how to understand it, or at least understand it in the way it was presented to me. And I had a great teacher, but for whatever reason, chemistry class just wasn't clicking for me. It took me a couple more decades to really start falling in love with that kind of science. And so when I was a 14, 15 year old, I struggled in chemistry class. And I gotta tell you, I really like the teacher, Mr. Irafita. He was kind of a younger teacher. He had lots of energy, was so smart. And so I really liked him, but I really had trouble in his class and I remember just struggling and I'd stay after and I'd talk with Mr. Irafita and he would try his best and just it wasn't clicking and my grades in chemistry class were not exactly stellar and they weren't turning around at any point. There was this one break from all of the chemistry stuff. I remember in the spring of 10th grade, Mr. Irafita did this big science fair project where he said, all right, we're going to take a little pause from chemistry for the next month and you're going to get into groups and you're going to make these science fair projects. And, and he gave the stipulations and we did it. And I got into a group of, with friends and we made our science fair project and we were so proud of it. Uh, we, we actually invented an electromagnetic piston for the vehicle for a, for a car like we thought we invented the answer to electric vehicles back there in the late 90s we were like we did it and and we actually won the science fair and then we got to go to the state science fair and we placed in that and we were like holy smokes we are going to be multi-millionaires because we just invented the electric engine 
and long story short, we did not end up becoming multimillionaires because of our invention. Matter of fact, Google was invented shortly after this, and it turns out it's already been, been invented. There was already a patent on our design, but it was a really fun learning experience, and I love that month of science class. I don't, I don't have many memories of loving science class growing up as a kid. However, I really love that month, and, and Mr. Irafita was super supportive of it. But then when the project was over, we went back to high school chemistry class. A lot of textbook, a lot of understanding formulas, a lot of theory rather than practice, and I struggled some more. And I remember by the end of that semester, I had a low D in Mr. Irafita's class. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm essentially failing chemistry you can't pass this class with a d and i didn't know what to do and i didn't want to tell my mom and i'm and i'm like oh my gosh i'm gonna have to retake this and that's embarrassing and 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 i'm gonna fall behind in whatever science class is coming up my junior year and it was so disruptive and i remember being stressed out about it because of the implications of what that d what that grade would mean for me and then the report cards came out at the end of my sophomore year and I was like, all right, get ready to see Mr. Irafita's D. And then I opened it up, and there on the report card was a big fat C minus. Mr. Irafita gave me a C, even though I had earned a D in his class. And of course, I didn't say anything about it. I was like, oh, this must be a typo. I don't know what's going on. And so I gladly took that C, and I passed chemistry, and I never took another chemistry class again. Okay, so that is how I got through chemistry class. Well, two years ago, I got this wonderful opportunity to go back to my high school and, and give the back-to-school keynote. And, and it was just a funny thing. The principal reached out and invited me to come to the school, not knowing that I actually was a student in that school a long time before this. And, and I live in a completely different state now, and so it was this wild encounter. And I got to go back to the school, and I gave the talk. And afterwards, there, sitting at one of the tables in this big room, was Mr. Irafida. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I haven't seen this man in over 20 years. And so I went up to him and we had this great meeting and he, and he remembered me some. And I was like, hey, while I've got you here, there's been something on my mind for the last couple of decades I need some clarification on. When I was in your class, I swear that I had a D. I did the math and I averaged out my score. I had a D and yet I got a C minus on my report card. Did you bump up my grade so that I could pass? And Mr. Irafita said, honestly, Trevor, I don't remember doing that, but that sounds like something I would have done. I said, I knew it. And I said, why'd you do it? He goes, well, probably because I liked you and you were trying hard and, uh, and, and, I, and I didn't want you to be held back by that. And, and so... First off, before we get on to the rest of what we're going to talk about, which get ready, we're about to make a 90-degree a turn from where, the, where you think this might be going. But like my first reaction, and it's still the one that I hold very close. So again, we're raising questions in this episode. Uh, I was like, that is so kind and so generous. And this is a teacher who sees the big picture, at least from my perspective, looking at me. I'm this kid that was trying hard, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't always try hard in my classes, but I do remember trying hard in chemistry, and for whatever reason, it was not clicking for me, and he recognized that, and he knew that, you know, me not passing that class was going to have implications, and so therefore, he took the, he took it upon himself to give me a C minus instead of a D, and I got to pass his class because of it. So I appreciate that. I love the big picture thinking he did. I love his compassion and empathy for this kid. 
for me as a 10th grader. So I love that. And I want to set that right there and just keep it there. Like, I love that. Now, let's, let's, turn, let's turn the ship a little bit because I want to raise some more questions. If my 11th grade teacher, my science teacher, went and looked at the report cards from the 10th grade class because he wanted to get an understanding of who his class was and you know maybe their proficiency or mastery of science so that he can kind of tailor his, his instruction for his specific students. If he went and looked at that data from the 10th grade class to figure out who is, is good at science, who may, might need some extra work with it. If, if he was looking at that data, could he look at my grade and have any indication of my proficiency with science class? or not, because I can tell you that C was not reflective of my understanding of chemistry. It was much more reflective of how Mr. Ayurveda saw me, or how Mr. Ayurveda felt about me, or maybe it was more reflective of his, of his type of thinking when it comes to grades, but it was not reflective of where I was at in chemistry class. It wouldn't actually be a, help, a helpful metric on, on where I was at and what that teacher could do to help me get me to where I need to go. Right, there, uh, there's a great educator uh, I follow on Twitter named Tyler Rabin, and he, he asked this question recently. He says, imagine handing off your grade book to a teacher who will have your students next. Would they be able to identify what those students need to learn next by looking at your grade book? Because that's often, grades get a little subjective. It gets a little hazy about what they're actually saying about a student. You know, for instance, if a student plagiarized an essay in your class, what would their grade on that essay be? In a traditional education setting, if a student plagiarized an essay, what would their grade on that essay be? A zero, right? Right, like you cheated, and so I award you no points. And it makes sense, right? Right, like you cheated, and, and here's your penalty for it. Or you cheated and you did not demonstrate your understanding and so therefore you get a zero. However, if I give them a zero, does that mean that the door is closed to finding out what they know about writing essays? I mean, because that's essentially what's happening here. The zero doesn't give any indication about what they know or what they don't know about the subject matter and their mastery of the skill. Instead, all it tells us is that they cheated, right? It, it, it's almost like this grade is for integrity class rather than English class, right? Which raises another question. Are grades meant to reflect how much a student has learned? Is it a snapshot of their knowledge and skills at a specific moment in time? Or are grades a measure of work ethic and integrity and, and a student's character? Because when I look at my grade for Mr. Ayurveda's class, which again, I appreciate and I wouldn't have it any other way, we're just raising questions, but when I look at that, my C in Mr. Ayurveda's class was not a reflection of my knowledge of chemistry, which I think we were trying to figure out, did I learn chemistry, right? Like, wasn't that one of the primary objectives of, uh, objectives of chemistry class was for this kid, Trevor, to learn chemistry in it? Well, we don't know if I learned chemistry. All we know is that I did something to be able to jump a letter grade, but we don't know where I'm at with chemistry, right? Like, it was more of a measure of my work ethic, integrity, and character rather than my understanding and proficiency of that skill, of that knowledge in that specific moment in time. Which, by the way, it could be okay. That might be okay. I mean, God knows that students need to learn about the importance of integrity, right? Look, among us, people need to learn that, and you don't just 
inherently know how to do what's right all the time. Sometimes we have a temptation not to, to cheat, to plagiarize, whatever it is. And, and so we do need to teach students that. And school is a place where that formation often happens. It happens at home. It happens in extracurriculars. It happens in friendships and relationships. But it also happens in school. Students need to learn about the importance of integrity. However, what about the essay? I mean, don't they need to master that standard? Isn't that an important objective of class? You know, if, if students are in English class and the task is for you to learn how to write an essay and you cheated on it and I give you a zero and I say, now it's time to move on. It's like, wait a minute, what about the essay? Or, or th that zero that I gave them is not reflective of their knowledge of writing essays. That zero doesn't tell us anything about their mastery of the skill. Instead, that zero says you cheated but what about the essay? Aren't we still tasked with learning about that? You know, like, so here's, an, here's a question. Should grades be the primary way we reward or penalize student behavior in the classroom? Because if the answer is yes, we should, in fact, discipline cheating in late submissions and dishonesty with grades. Well, then how are we going to measure student learning? Because I don't think we can do both at the same time, right? I, I don't think that we can accurately average together a student's integrity, work ethic, and character with their content learning and have an accurate picture of what they know about the content. And, and so grades, you know, like, so if the answer is no, you know, the, the question was, should grades be the primary way we reward or penalize student behavior? If the answer is no, grades should be a reflection of competency rather than being a punishment or a reward. Well, then what are some other ways to, to teach integrity and timeliness? You know, is it possible to teach those lessons without the grade book, right? Because students still need those lessons probably even more than the content, right? Like knowing chemistry is great and important. Knowing how to write an essay is absolutely great and important, but so is integrity and timeliness and meeting deadlines. But is it, is it possible to separate the two? Do we have to use the grade book as the primary way of teaching those very important life lessons? Right? Like, it, it's kind of a conundrum. You know, it's, it's the kind of thing that we need to think about. It should force us to rethink some of the ways we view grading. I know it's outside of the traditional box. You know, we've grown used to some of these methods, and, and, and yet we also know that we've got to pivot. We've got to move to do what's best for students. And I think... And I'd love to hear discussion on this. And so let's engage online. I've, I've been asking this question a lot on social media lately, so feel free to chime in there. I've also got a video that kind of sums up some of these points on YouTube, so feel free to jump in the comments section on there. But I think we need to have a discussion here and ask, is this the best way of teaching integrity and deadlines and character is by using this, this penal system, a grade book or a reward system saying, hey, you turn this on time, here's a grade. Or hey, if you want to get your grade boosted, here's some extra credit that's outside of the content that we already teach. It's not necessarily trying to reflect your competency, but instead here's some extra credit where you can do extra work and dedicate more of your time and sacrifice some of your energy so that you can get a higher grade which again, that's part of the traditional model, and yet extra credit doesn't demonstrate mastery of the material. It demonstrates either your work ethic, it might demonstrate your, your privilege, right? Like I, I've had many, many students who raise their siblings at home, 
right? Like when I was a kid, here's a, here's a little insight. When I was in high school, I would get out of school at 3 p.m. and uh, I would catch a ride over to the school swimming pool and I was on the dive and swim team and I would do that for two hours and then I would go home and it wasn't always perfect, but like I'd have a dinner with my family and I would do my homework because I had a mom who said, Trevor, sit down and do your homework. And my mom would sometimes ask me, do you have any extra credit? And I'd be like, no. And, and, but at least she was always asking. And so like those really contributed to me doing that extra credit to get my grade up or doing the work necessary to pass my class. Well, guess what? Some students don't have that luxury. Some of my uh, many, many students don't um, have the luxury of going to extracurricular activities. They go home and maybe they work jobs or maybe they go home and they take care of their siblings or maybe they go to a traumatic experience. And the last thing they'd be capable of doing or have the capacity to do is extra credit. And, and so you can see how grades also it creates an equity issue. Just the fact that like, man, if it's subjective, if it's about meeting deadlines and timeliness and integrity, yeah, th th there's definitely an equity there, right? There, there's definitely a privilege that some students have that others don't. And so the subjectivity of grades there are an interference. And then just also the reality is we're trying to figure out what feedback I can give you so that you can continue to grow. And so if I gave you a zero on a paper, it doesn't tell me what you know about writing papers. Again, it tells me something completely different. And so therefore that student has no data, no information in order to improve their paper writing. And I said I wasn't gonna provide solutions and so I won't very much, but I will say, what if instead of giving a zero on that paper, you say, all right, you cheated, I found out, you used chat GPT, you plagiarized, whatever, you copied somebody else's, there's gonna be some other consequences, maybe, and I'm just throwing out ideas, not necessarily the ones I always use, but maybe it's a detention. Maybe it's a meeting with the principal. Maybe I need to call home and talk to a parent about it. Maybe I'm going to let you rewrite this paper because I still need to know that you know how to write, right? That's one of the objectives as an English teacher. I need to know that you know how to write. And so you're gonna rewrite the paper, but before you do that, you're going to have to show me that you've done some work that, that, that prepared you to rewrite it the second time. Because if I just let you just do it all over again without any type of correction, what, what's gonna stop you from just making the same mistake or just doing the same exact thing? And so, therefore, you're gonna need to come to this workshop I'm gonna be holding for everybody who's rewriting the paper. And your attendance is mandatory in order to rewrite the paper. Or maybe you're gonna have to write up 500 words about what you did to find the information that you're putting into the paper. Yeah, it's a little bit extra work, and maybe it's not fun, but I need to know that you know what to do here. Or uh, let's even go away from the integrity piece. Let's say a student just turns in a pretty bad paper the first time. It's a D. It's like, all right, this is where you're at right now. This is a, ref this is a formative assessment. It's showing, it's showing me where you're at. And so I'm gonna give you some feedback, and there's a lot of different ways you can do that. We'll dive into to it some other time. I'm gonna give you some feedback, and now you can take that feedback and you can resubmit. Because now you're being given some direction about what you can do to improve your work, right? Like it's, it's, this, it's kind of like a swimmer's analogy. Let's go back to swim team in high school. When I started swimming, I was not very fast. I think I swam the 50 freestyle in about 34 seconds, not really quick. But then I started practicing and every day I practice and I grew stronger and I had coaches and they helped me with my technique and my skill. And by the end of that season, I swam like a 25 second um, 50 freestyle, way, way faster. It, it, it allowed me to compete in state, states. Does anybody care about that 34 second one? Is, is anybody talking about it? Is it part of my personal record? 
No. Is it averaged into my my personal record at the end of the season? You know, when I swam that 25, 26? Are they like, well, you swam at 25 because of all this practice and coaching you've had, but we're going to average it in with that 34. It's like, no, there's no average there. Here's your new score. It's a 25, 26. This is where you are after being given direction and coaching and instruction and feedback so that that original score doesn't matter anymore. Right. That, that's kind of counter to how we think about traditional grading. You know, that that zero at the beginning of the semester is following you the rest of the semester in the traditional grading world. But what if we saw grades as a reflection of where a student is at in a specific moment in time as a according to a rubric or a standard uh, that that's set for them on that learning? What if we viewed it that way? And we dealt with integrity and, and character and deadlines and some of those other things and work ethic and agency and independence and all of those other incredibly important characteristics that we want all of our students to leave school with. What if we dealt with those and taught those apart from the, the, the grades, apart from standards? Or maybe we just find a way to incorporate it into it. And we can talk more about that sometime. Maybe you've heard of standards-based grading. It's something to start looking up. I do a whole workshop on it. Um, and uh, maybe I need to put together uh, some uh, some more detail of what it can look like. But today, I just want to raise some questions. How are we viewing grades? What's the point of them? Are they, are they to demonstrate what a student knows, to reflect what they know, or is it to reflect what their actions look like? And you know what? I'm open to the discussion either way. That's the point of this. We're just kicking it off. But I think these are things we need to chew on. And then we need to incorporate it into our practice. We need to find ways to pivot for our students to maybe rethink things that we're comfortable with in order to serve them in the very best way. So again, I haven't offered any solutions in this podcast. I'm just raising big questions. So feel free to use social media to join the conversation. You can find me on YouTube by typing in my name or on Facebook. I'm asking this question on Twitter at Trevor Muir, on Instagram at The Epic Classroom. Um, and let's just have this conversation and maybe we can have it online, but then more importantly than that, maybe you and other educators who you serve alongside can continue to talk about this as well because these discussions are worth having all right friends thanks for tuning in to episode 30 of the epic classroom podcast my name is trevor muir and uh, i am so grateful to get to connect with you uh, feel free if you wanted to connect more to go to trevormuir.com where uh, you can dig in deeper to all of this all right friends have a great week talk to you next time mm -hmm.